BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is sponsored by Hum Nutrition, a leading vitamin brand on the forefront of wellness. Hum is best known for Flatter Me, a digestive enzyme that debloats fast and went viral on TikTok. Rooted in science and backed by clinical research, Hum offers clean and targeted formulas that help you reach your wellness goals. From gut and skin health to vaginal and hormonal balance, Hum has specific solutions that work for you. Hum Nutrition's bestseller, Flatter Me, is the ultimate debloating hack. It's so easy for you. All you have to do is take one small capsule before a meal, and it helps you enjoy all of your favorite foods without the bloating aftermath. Flatter Me is clinically tested to de-bloat fast and works after only one use. Head to humnutrition.com, that is H-U-M-nutrition.com, and get 40% off your first order with code GARAGE. Reach your wellness goals and head to humnutrition.com, that is H-U-M-nutrition.com, today as this offer expires soon. Terms and conditions apply. True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy who sips Bob Seger's diet tequila, light moves, most nights after dinner. Here is the cap. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are still sipping on some magic hobo monkey juju juicy <laughs> IPA. Say that three times fast. It's, it's hard to say. It's a very, a very long name. Magic Hobo Monkey is a citrusy, hoppy, and bold IPA with tropical fruit. I taste some grapefruit in there, which I love. Most people are very surprised how well grapefruit blends so well with the natural bitterness of an IPA. The two complement each other very well, I believe. Magic Hobo Monkey is 8.2% ABV, so you might want to drink this at home in your garage. Our garage grade for this beauty is four and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some praise and thanks to our friends for helping us out with this week's show. Yeah, first up, we like your jib goes out to Sue Jacobson and Pinyan. New York. And we have a big, big thank you that goes out to longtime listener Kelly drinking the good beer out in the great state of Montana. Everyone we mentioned, they went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us fill up the fridge for this week's show. Yeah, B W E W R U N beer run. 
Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. On Friday, August 11, 1995, around 12.30 a.m., 16-year-old Brian Michael Bassett and his 17-year-old friend Nicholas James McDonald broke into Brian's home and murdered Brian's parents. This is Wendy and Michael and Brian's five-year-old brother, Austin. Some say this was revenge for kicking Brian out of the house. Others say that it was so that the two could steal money a vehicle and belongings and run off to California. And a lot of people believe that it was probably both that inspired the events of that night, that fateful night in August of 1995. The two perpetrators hid the bodies, taking two of the bodies to a logging road about three miles from the home and then concealing the other body in a pump house that was outside of the house adjoining the house. Brian's parents' van was stolen and the two were en route to the state of California when Nicholas McDonald decides to walk into a police station and tell them just what went down hours prior to his confession. So of course, when you have murders like these, when you have crimes like these, everybody wants to know why. And especially we want to know why when it's committed by perpetrators of such a young age, 16 and 17. And so anytime we do a case that involves a youth committing murder, I always refer back to an old book. This one's called Kids Who Kill by Charles Patrick Ewing. And they have a lot of statistics in there. Now, keep in mind, this book was published in 1990. The case that we're talking about comes from 1995. So some of these statistics while they're still meaningful today, they come from yesteryear. And I want to read a couple of portions, a couple of paragraphs from this book, if you will allow me there, Captain. Nope. <laughs> Do it on your All own right. time. Sk- skipping that. Uh, but in Kids Who Kill, Charles Patrick Ewing says, every year at least 1,000 and often more than 1,500 American youngsters under the age of 18 intentionally take the lives of others and are arrested for murder or manslaughter. Some of these killings are crimes of premeditated violence motivated by greed, lust, or a desire for revenge. Others are crimes of passion, impulsive over-responses to provocation by the victim or to some explosive drive within the killer. Right. Still other cases seem utterly senseless. Who are these kids who kill? To begin with, kids who kill are really a rare breed. While homicides committed by children and adolescents fascinate the public and generate a great deal of media attention, these killings are actually quite infrequent. People younger than 18 constitute roughly one quarter of the total resident population of the United States, yet annually, the past decade or so, again, this would be from 1990 and prior, 
consistently fewer than 11% of all individuals arrested in the United States for murder or intentional manslaughter have been under the age of 18. In 1988, for example, there were 16,326 murder and intentional manslaughter arrests in the United States, only 1,765, again, roughly 11% of those arrested were under 18 years of age. To put it another way, fewer than five juveniles in every 100,000 are arrested for intentionally killing someone, approximately half the adult arrest rate for these same crimes. Well, and you said those are statistics from 1990? That was from 1988. Yeah, I wonder where that sits today with the amount of mass shootings we have in schools. Yeah, and you have, certainly you have that increased over the years as well as crime trends, especially in larger cities right now, are showing an uptick in youth crime and youth violent crime as well. So that could be a little bit higher. Now, What's intriguing as far as this case goes, too, is around the same time in 1995, we talked about this in our episodes titled Trail of Blood with the concern, the growing concern of what what many officials were calling the youth super predator. Right. And uh a strong effort by many to increase the penalty and the consequences for violent crime committed by this nation's youth. And, and the, the consequences got much more strict and severe in the nineties. At the same time, this is 1995 when this case that we're talking about this week takes place. Now at trial, the state of Washington introduced Brian Bissett's statement that he made to police that he and McDonald had tried to kill Bissett's parents twice before the actual crimes took place. But those attempts were foiled for one reason or another. I'm wondering if he simply wasn't able to gain access to the house in those attempts. Yeah, or access to the gun. McDonald at trial testified and admitted after Brian Bissett had already shot Michael Brian's father that quote, I felt he was suffering. And so he testified that he shot him again to end Michael's suffering. He said that he went into the house with Brian and found the parents already having been shot by Brian. And Brian was quote, yelling and screaming at his parents and kicking at their bodies End quote. Well, and like I said on yesterday's show, you use the term hate and I would, I would yeah. say that's the most fitting term in in this case. To explain Brian, McDonald's McDonald's involvement is very strange to me. But I Yeah, because he confesses to this hours after word. Yeah. And it sounds to me from everything we're being told from McDonald and Brian and 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 all parties that have examined this case is that McDonald knew going to the house that night, what they were going to attempt to do. Right. As, as Brian said at trial that they had attempted to kill the parents twice before. Right. McDonald denied that he shot Wendy Bissett at trial. And despite his earlier statements to the grants past police, he also denied having drowned 
Austin. McDonald claimed that his earlier confession, which the details were slightly different, uh, confessing to Austin's murder, was simply because he was trying to conform to a story that McDonald and Bissett had come up with together. Mm-hmm. He referred to it to it as a concoction that me and Brian had come to. And now he's on the stand and he's claiming that he entered the bathroom only to find that Brian had already drowned Austin in the bathtub. Yeah, it's very strange because like like I said, the first confession initially it sounds like he's trying to distance him, himself from the crime and, and being the perpetrator of the crime. But then when he admits to drowning the, the child, you, you go, Well, this this guy's uh, admitting to being a monster. Right. And so right. you want to believe him and then you get <laughs> on the you get in the trial and now you now you're stepping away well and the thing too that i have to keep reminding myself because i you know you hear about these crimes and it's it's very easy to lash out in anger and a knee-jerk reaction and go you know what go ahead and go ahead and string them both up right and i don't care what what mcdonald says i don't care how it varies from brian's version of the events string them both up but then I have to remind myself at the end of the day, as bad and horrible as what McDonald witnessed and participated in, he still walked into the police station hours later and told them what happened. I mean, these guys could have been on the run. They could have, Brian could have killed other people. Mm-hmm. Who knows how, how much, much more, more violence right, right. could have, could have taken place with these two being on the run. And, and I said yesterday that I didn't think this was a very good plan because even had he not confessed, you know, it's, there's a reason and people will go, Oh, you guys tell these stories and it's cheesy. You bring up the, the, the police asked family members and, and friends of the, the decedent who would want to hurt, who would want to harm the person that was killed? Well, yes, it's, it's a cheesy question mm-hmm. from police, but nine times out of 10 in the cases that are solved, the reason why they're asking that question and will do so forever till the end of time is because nine times out of 10, the person that, that is mentioned by name to police is often the person who committed the, the murder. And so in this case, while they're trying to conceal their crimes, hide the bodies again, Wendy's body is still on the property. It sounds like they did. They took efforts to clean up the crime scene there's been a lot of reporting out there that says that you could walk in that house and tell that there was a violent struggle that, that likely a murder took place in the home. And you'd only have to ask one person, right? We, we gave plenty of statements from people that knew Brian and knew the family in yesterday's episode. You'd only have to ask one or two people to find out that, Oh, well, did you find their son, Brian? Because he's, he's violent. They were scared of him, right? The mother was sleeping with a baseball bat. Again, like you said, it could be a crime can be premeditated, but th- that doesn't mean that the perpetrators thought it, thought out the crime thoroughly. McDonald at court admitted to driving off alone with the bodies of Austin and Michael and hiding them along a logging road. He also conceded that he helped Brian hide Wendy's body in the Bassett's pump house and that he cleaned the Bissett's home after the murders in order to conceal evidence of the killings. Right. A forensic pathologist testified for the state. 
His testimony revealed that Michael Bassett had been shot five times and that either of the two gunshot wounds to Michael's head, including the one that McDonald admitted to, would have been fatal. So regardless of, of the stories, we have the pathologist telling us that both of the suspects, both of the persons being charged, where the wound takes place and the nature of the wound indicates that the intention was to kill this man. According to the pathologist, the order in which the injuries occurred to the father could not be determined. So what we're seeing here is you're going to have two individuals that were both involved in committing triple homicides, yet they're both going to be charged with with different charges, right? Which will ultimately mean that they're facing different consequences. Yeah. And like, like I said, that's normally how this works. When you have one guy come forward, those detectives are going to try to protect that individual a little bit from the prosecution. The Grays Harbor County Sheriff, this is Dennis Morissette, said a case this heinous should prompt state lawmakers to consider allowing the death penalty for teens as young as 16. Again, I already referenced the youth or teenage super predator. If you want to go back and review that case, that's True Crime Garage Trail of Blood episodes 416 and 417. And that's the story of the 1995, again, 1995. Yeah. The 1995 murder of Janet Downing, age 42, who the state says was committed by Eddie O'Brien, just 15 years old, of Somerville, Massachusetts, who lived across the street. Any crime committed against a child, there's that knee-jerk reaction, especially from me, where I just go, like you said, just hang, hang them up. Hang them up in the middle of town square to let them know, let everybody know this is what happens when you want to harm a child. Well, that goes to intent or the the premeditation of these crimes to begin with. I mean, the the truly sad thing, sad part of the story is they could have stolen money, a vehicle, belongings of, of value from anyone, from anywhere. They could have even stole these things from Brian's parents. They didn't have to commit any murders right. to run off to California for whatever reason that they were planning to, to go to California. Now, we talk about intent here. Well, that's what the defense was going to want to talk about as well, too, because we have two people. It's not a question of if they did this. Right. It's they did this. Who's responsible for what? And why did this happen? So. I'm going to read a, an Associated Press article because they put it together better than I could have typed it up myself. But the article headline is Defense Blames Rock Song. Attorney asked to play song at teen's triple murder trial. Again, this is from the Associated Press. And the article reads, the attorney for one of two teenagers charged in a triple murder wants to play a rock song as part of his opening statement at the trial. He contends the lyrics are a key to the boy's behavior. Grays Harbor County Superior Court Judge Mark McCauley said he will decide the matter before opening statements get underway at a pretrial hearing. Tom Copeland, attorney for 18-year-old Nicholas McDonald, also said he plans to call McDonald to testify at length about how the song affected him. Quote, this is almost a script. It's relevant to everything. The legal issues, the mental issues, 
why this happened, the way it happened, Copeland said, of the song Israel's Son by the Australian alternative rock group Silverchair. Today, mate. McDonald and Brian Bissett, 16, are charged with three counts of aggravated first-degree murder in the deaths of Bissett's parents and five-year-old brother at the family home in McClary. Goes on to say that jury selection for McDonald's trial begin will begin soon. And it says that after the killings, Brian Bissett danced around the room, kicking the corpses of his parents to the strains of the rapid fire heavy guitar song, according to the attorney. And they quote some of the lyrics here in the article saying, quote, hate is what I feel for you. I want you to know that I want you dead. I hate you and your apathy. You can leave. You can leave. I don't want you here. Hate and execution. Put your hands in the air. Put your hands in the air. Prosecutors dispute the contention that the song was a factor in the brutal slayings, saying, what does this prove? That's a quote from the prosecutor, Jerry Fuller. And he goes on to say, does this prove that Bissett hated his parents? Does it prove that he had motive to kill his parents? No. All it proves is it was a song that he played, says the prosecutor. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you ever thought about why your wireless bill is so damn expensive? It's all just radio waves, and how much can a radio wave really cost? Seems like Big Wireless got together and decided, $100 a month? I think they'll buy it. What choice do they have? Now, thanks to Mint Mobile, you do have a choice. For a limited time, all phone plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. I made the switch. I'm enjoying it. The secret is in the sauce over at Mint Mobile. 5G for free, no extra overhead, flexible plan options. Your unlocked device and current phone number are always welcome at Mint Mobile. I made the switch. I love it. You should do the same. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Do you want to set your child up for success? 
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Maybe your kid has questions and you don't feel equipped to answer. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. With studies done in almost every state in the country, the kids who had IXL are constantly doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. And there's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. A single hour of tutoring costs more than a month of IXL. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. I know for me growing up, there were courses that I struggled with. Some courses I loved and I excelled. Other courses couldn't keep my interest and I needed to be dialed in. I have friends who are using IXL with their children and they're seeing the results that they wanted. We're talking grade school, middle school. In both cases, they are getting the results that they are wanting and their children are excelling in their courses. Make an impact on your child's learning and get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. Again, that song, Israel's Son, is off of Silver Chair's 1995 album, Frog Stomp. Which were just teenagers themselves when they put out that record. Yeah, yeah. And there was reaction, right? Daniel Johns is the the singer for the band yeah. Silver Chair. Singer and guitar player. He says in an interview with Request Magazine, this mm-hmm. interview took place in November of 1995, that song was about an execution I saw on telly. I got this video of an execution, and I just saw it, and I was watching it one night, and I had a dream about it, and I woke up and thought, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool, and I wrote a song about it. But, of course, when asked, the band's manager gave a statement to the regard of, hey, 
McDonald's lawyer and Bissett's lawyers, they want to play this song. They're blaming this song for their actions, for for their involvement in, in, in planning and carrying out a triple homicide. John Watson, the band's manager, was quoted as stating on behalf of the band Silverchair, Silverchair do not, have not, and never would condone violence of any sort. The band is appalled by this horrific crime, and they hope that justice will prevail in prosecuting whoever is responsible for it. The band extends its sincere sympathies to the families and friends of the victims in this case. Silverchair absolutely rejects any allegation that their song is in any way responsible for the actions of the alleged murders. Well, it seems like such a cowardly defense, but what else do you expect from these coward murderers? You know, we're going to sneak into my house. We're going to attack my parents, catch them off guard. The statement goes on to say it is a matter of public record that the song in question, Israel's song, was inspired by a television documentary about wartime atrocities. Israel's son was never intended to provoke violence and cannot be interpreted by any reasonable person as doing so. In fact, the song seeks to criticize violence and war by portraying them in all their horror. Yeah, I just think it's a cowardly defense. And I I don't understand what they're trying to prove. Blame this song, blame this artist, blame this other teenager for putting thoughts out into the universe that this individual didn't understand. Yeah. Or these, these individuals don't understand. I mean, we've seen this before where people have blamed other rock stars and other rock songs. It's one of those situations that unfortunately, and we, we talked about this when we reviewed the John Wayne Gacy case, his attorney and rightfully so said, look, when you are representing somebody like John Wayne Gacy, when, when a serial killer who they have a mountain of evidence against, they find the bodies in his home. When that guy is your client your only job as the as his attorney is to attempt to save his life attempt to get him right. get him anything other than the death penalty and in this case the two perpetrators were not facing the death penalty in this case but they are facing life in prison without the possibility of parole Mm-hmm. And so these attorneys are then it's not a question of guilt. It's a question of why is there anybody else to blame and what kind of sentence is appropriate for a 17 and 16 year old that commit these types of crimes. So you're trying to throw everything at the wall, hoping that someone on the jury will sympathize with your client and maybe your client does not get life in prison without the possibility of parole. Yeah, like a little silly monkey throwing his feces against the wall to see what sticks. And I think it's also, it's this idea that if there's other factors that are to blame, that this individual wouldn't be like that, and that there's hope for this individual, and that he can be rehabilitated, and he can live a productive life into society later on. Well, and prosecutors would agree with you here, Captain, in the belief that the defense was silly and there were other things that were brought up by the defense obviously in both of these trials but ultimately the prosecution was able to convince the jury that the murders 
were committed in order to steal money, belongings, the vehicle, and run off to California. So both are found guilty, but they each were facing different charges, and so they received different sentences. The jury acquitted McDonald of the murder of Wendy Bissett. Remember, according to his story, that already occurred before he even entered the home. So they found him guilty of second-degree murder, uh, two counts of second-degree murder. This would be the murders of Austin and Michael Bissett. Brian Bissett was found guilty of all three homicides, all in the first degree. So what did they sentence them to? So this is from a a February article from 1996. McDonald was found guilty of second-degree murders of Michael and Austin, acquitted for Wendy, sentenced to 65 years in prison. Not long enough. Judge Mark McCauley imposed a 50-year sentence for the drowning death of Austin. And he, to prove a point, he had the courtroom silenced for three minutes. Yeah. Which would be the amount of time it would have taken Austin to drown in a cold tub of water. I mean, that's absolutely horrific. Stephanie, remember, this is Brian's sister who was not home the night of the murders. In court, she said, quote, he deserves to wake up every morning wishing he was not alive. He deserves to be locked up for the rest of our lives. McDonald apologized in court, saying the only thing I can do is apologize for the loss of their loved ones. Brian was convicted of three counts of aggravated first degree murder, and the trial court sentence beset to three consecutive terms of life without the possibility of parole well like we said about brian he had three other siblings i wonder if they had any fear that if he did get out that he would go after them well that is part of what we're looking at here now because unfortunately the three consecutive terms of life without the possibility of parole that sentence doesn't hold up here's a good news clip to sum up where the case has moved to in the current day man who killed his parents and his brother in 1995 will be resentenced in Grays Harbor County this morning. Brian Bassett was just 16 years old when he killed his family members. King 5's Angelie Cockaday here this morning in the studio with more on what the court hearing is about today. Angelie, his surviving sister trying to keep him locked up. This is a very complicated case, right? Yeah, that's exactly right, Jake. And Bassett was originally sentenced to life in prison, but the Washington State Supreme Court threw out those sentences back in 2019, ruling life sentences for teenagers was unconstitutional. Since then, he's had two sentence hearings. Now, the first hearing resentenced him to 60 years, but an appeals court overturned that ruling, deeming it excessive. The last was earlier this month. Bassett's attorney argued prison rehabilitation has worked and called for his release. Bassett himself also took the stand asking for forgiveness. The state, however, is still calling for 40 years, a move backed by his sister Stephanie Bassett as the only surviving family member. She is set to testify during today's sentencing that she fears she would have been killed too and she had been home at the time of the murders. Every day that he's behind bars, I can breathe. I can feel safe. And I can live because I don't have a doubt that the target is on my back. Now, the court hearing will begin at 9 a.m. We'll have the latest on King 5 News at noon. For now, in the studio, Angelique Hockaday. So what we're faced with here, Captain, and 
as told to us by that news story there. In 2015, Brian Bissett argues that due process and the appearance of fairness entitle him to a new judge when facing a resentencing hearing. Basically, what they're saying is that it's unconstitutional to sentence a child, a youth offender, to the max of life in prison without the possibility of parole. In his efforts, in his efforts in court to get a, a resentencing, we have Dr. Jeffrey Hansen, who says he counseled Brian Bissett in 1995. He testified at the resentencing hearing once, once one was granted. Around 1995, Brian Bissett ran away from home, sometimes to hurt his mother. He was still trying to establish his identity, had average cognitive ability, had suffered a self-induced alcohol overdose at the age of 15, had ongoing relational issues with his parents and felt hopeless and had an adjustment disorder resulting in poor emotional behavioral responses to stress. Dr. Hansen further testified that Bissett faced the stressors of homelessness, joblessness, and possibly having had an unwanted sexual relationship with McDonald. It's it, here's the thing. You you sit here and you listen to a doctor try to defend this person who killed three people, killed a boy, killed a little boy, and it's hard it's it's hard to feel anything other than stabbing him in the butt with a hot poker. Hate towards him, right? right? It's 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 incredibly difficult to try to sympathize with or for this person that you know did such horrible things. And, and and I'm sorry, I sit here and I go, okay, doc, Goochweed. cry me a river here, man. Bissette was facing the stressors of homelessness. Well, he wouldn't be homeless if he would just get along with mom and dad. Yeah, if he wasn't acting like a jackass. And I don't know the relationship between him and McDonald, but to, for a doctor to sit there on the stand and say, uh, and the stressor of possibly having an unwanted sexual relationship with Flicky flicky with this friend. Okay. Well then quit hanging out with the friend. Yeah. No more flicky flicky. There are very simple actions that this 16 year old was old enough to recognize and understand that he could have done yet. He chose not to do these things. And instead he chose to climb up a ladder and pull a gun on mom and dad and gun them down inside their home. Well, and don't you think there's some evidence that if anybody was manipulating anybody in this relationship it was brian that was manipulating yes it's it's very hard to say because we don't know what was going on between mcdonald and Bissett. yeah it's not hard to say their plan was to kill brian's parents not the other way around yeah it seems like it seems at least to me from where i sit they sit on the throne of lies that it's not a situation where mcdonald had his hands on the steering wheel and was directing everything it it right. looks to me that if, if McDonald did have a hand on the steering wheel, well, Brian had both of his hands on the steering wheel as well. Now they go on to state that Brian stated that when he entered prison as a juvenile, he first thought of how much trouble he would be in when his parents learned that he was in prison because the reality of his crimes quote, didn't click three weeks after the murders, Brian had written well, I wish I hadn't done anything because now I think of all of the good times that my dad and me had before I was just thinking of all of the things they did to piss me off. Bissette 
expressed remorse at the resentencing and explained the challenges that he faced as a homeless youth at 16. Again, homeless, they're painting him as a victim while I, I believe that he homelessness was an option for him, an option that he chose. Well, he's also hanging out in that shed. And I think that it's easy to lose track of the justice that needs to be held up here for this this killer when you sit there 20 years after these people were killed the victims almost start to fade away and you start to lose touch with the victims it's important to make this man this boy face the most severe of consequences when these crimes are fresh when you're still hurting when the community's still in pain right but then 20 years later you've had the opportunity to heal a bit and you, you start to forget just how cruel his actions were. You know, who didn't forget the people that you brought up earlier, the surviving family members of the perpetrator and the victims and imagine their fear. How the hell can they go on and live their, a normal life, right? We're all, told that we are afforded the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I, you know, you say it's unconstitutional to convict this kid and keep him in prison for the rest of his existence. I say it's unconstitutional to let him out. So his sisters and their children and their husbands and their extended family, they cannot experience life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness with this guy out. I get it. It's, it's difficult. You don't know what is the proper thing, the proper punishment for a 16 year old. I find no problem questioning that. But the thing that I can't get over is how good do I feel about letting a guy out who committed three murders, cold blooded murders of people that he was supposed to love and care about. And, and here's the, here's the other scary thing in this case, in this, in this exact case. You know, not to date myself here, but... But you're old as shit. Well, Brian Bissett and I are roughly the same age. I'm not, I'm not an elderly man. I'm not somebody that is incapable of physical violence. Prove it. Put your hands up. I have the physical ability to do that. Tough guy. I don't have the mindset or the, or the heart to do that. Or the balls. But what I'm trying to point out here is... Mm -hmm. If you let this guy out, I believe he will always He's be a capable. danger to somebody. He hasn't aged out of this physically, at least. No, and I think the other issue, too, is it's not just one murder victim. It's three murder victims. Right. I mean, and so to say that it's unconstitutional to give him life without the possibility of a parole... I get, I guess that argument would make more sense or I guess easier to swallow if there's one victim, but there's three victims and one of those victims being a child. Themselves. And here's what I'm hoping and praying that somebody is reminding the people that are reviewing this case and reviewing the sentencing for Brian Bissett. I hope and pray that somebody informed that panel that do you know, had he not climbed that ladder? and gone into that house that night and murdered three members of his family. Do you know that Austin would only be 33 years old today? 
Right. Only 33 years old today. And you're telling me that this guy has served enough of a, of a sentence that we should think about letting him out. So as of February, 2017, 19 states and the district of Columbia have banned all juvenile life without parole sentences in 2019, the state of Washington, which is the state where he was sentenced, the Washington state Supreme court ruled life sentences for teenagers were cruel and thus unconstitutional. Since then, 2019, Brian Bissett has had two sentence hearings. His attorneys making the case for his release argue and say, look, this guy served 65% of his life sentence. Now, it is common, especially here in Ohio, that one would typically serve between 60 and 80% of their sentence before being up for release. In August of 2022, this is from the Harbor News. It says, Brian Bissett has been in and out of Gray's Harbor County courtroom since 2019, pleading for his release from prison. It says Bissett was resentenced to one more year in prison. This was from 2022. His sister, Stephanie Bissett, who my heart goes out to in the biggest form, she says, quote, I ask the court for myself, for my family, especially for my children or my parents or Austin, that every day that he's behind bars, I can breathe. I can feel safe and I can live because I don't have a doubt that a target is on my back. End quote. Yeah. And we live in a very strange world where we go, oh, we, we don't want to be too cruel to the individual that took three people's lives. Yeah. And then instead of accepting some responsibility, initially or later on in life blamed a rock song blame blamed everybody under the sun i mean it's i i i don't understand i don't understand this world sometimes where we want to be sympathetic or apathetic to or think that we are growing as a society because we can now forgive him and let him out well and look okay so he takes one life, so you give him life sentence without the possibility of parole. He took another life, so give him another life sentence without the possibility of parole. He took another life, so give him another life sentence without the possibility of parole. And then he can serve those sentences, you know, so he could serve 60% of the one sentence and then serve 60% of the next one, and he'll never get out of jail. And that would be fine with me. And that would make the most sense. So a judge, Amma Millo, I hope that I'm saying that name correctly, A-M-A-M-I-L-O, shared her opinion on the matter, saying, quote, the Bassett family, McCleary, which is the city that he was from, and the Grays Harbor County community at large need to know that Mr. Bassett is not likely to be a threat to anyone when released. If and when he gains release, Brian Bissett will have a mandated anti-harassment and lifetime no contact order against his sister. Okay, this guy does not strike me as somebody that likes to play by the rules. So we're going to we're going to put these little ticky-tacky rules on him. Oh, you can't go over and talk to your sister. You can't have any contact with her. We we're supposed to believe for a moment that a that a guy that climbs into a home breaks into a home and 
guns down people that he's going to care for an anti-harassment lifetime no contact order. The most recent news, unfortunately, comes from May of 2022. This from the Harbor News again, that states that Brian's release is dependent on a number of factors, including tight controls related to substance use. He must participate in the champion programs recommended aftercare to include sober support groups. He will be expected to participate in electronic monitoring for the first 90 days of his release. Oh, great. Well, what about day 91 or day 92? In addition, McDonald's should be supervised at the highest level for the first year in the community. Documents state that McDonald has demonstrated positive prison behavior for approximately the past five years. Well, congratulations, right? Uh, I won't be handing out any awards to people that have demonstrated positive prison behavior for the past five years. And it goes on to say with no serious infractions since his last board hearing, which was approximately five years ago, the parole document noted that he quote, does not appear to experience any acute distress or psychiatric dysfunction that increases his risk for violence, end quote. So unfortunately, the decision to allow for his release was unanimous by the board. As of May 12th of 2022, he's still housed at Airway Heights Correctional Facility pending release. I don't believe that he's been released because it would be newsworthy and it'd be something that we have found. But what it sounds like to me captain from everything that that I could find is that it's not a question of if he will be released more of a question of when and unfortunately the articles that I read made it sound like that could be this year and that's that's when you go okay I understand what you're saying here I understand what's going on I understand that you are are evaluating this individual as such and you the panel you the board have decided that he is okay to be released back into society, back into the communities. Yeah. Look, I don't want to sound like the, the old grumpy man shaking his hand, shaking his fist at a black cloud, but it's like, okay, cool. You say he's not a threat. You say he's not a danger. Let him live in your backyard. Let him live next door to you and next door to your kids. Yeah. Let him live in your shed and, and you better lock those windows because he's going to be crawling in. This case is a, a case that I've heard of since the 90s and a case that I've always wanted to dive into more. And last year, I was watching a documentary called Future Never about Daniel Johns, and they ask him about Brian blaming their song for the murders and how he feels about it all these years later. So I don't know if you've been asked this before, but in 1995, there were two American teenagers who uh, killed one of the boy's parents and his five-year-old brother, and they blamed it on your song, Israel's Son. You were just 16 years old when this was all happening. And uh, how did you feel when, when this was going on? Did you take it? Did you internalize this at all? <clears throat> Yeah, I, d I didn't realize at the time, but, but I did. At the time, I was still, um, I guess, I, it affected me, but I had to act like it didn't. And I had to also, I couldn't acknowledge it. I guess that was part of the patterns. Like, I, if I acknowledge that, that could 
interrupt. Talk about having blinders on. I was like, that is fucked up and that's going to fuck me in the future, but for now I've got this to do. I didn't realise that that would continue to happen for a really long time and I'd just push everything away and just focus on the music. It's, it's, that's, it's pretty devastating to write a song when you're a teenager and then like have someone's lives taken because apparently it's influence the people to murder someone that's that's too much i don't like that people look to me for guidance in my songs i don't like it oh i would have loved to interview daniel johns i would have asked him do you eat kangaroos for breakfast, mate? want to thank everybody for joining us here in the garage each and every week. Make sure you tell a friend. Tell your mother. Tell your mother about this show. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? This week we are recommending The Supreme Gentleman Killer by Brian Whitney. This is a story, a true crime story, about a man named Elliot Roger. Elliot Roger considered himself to be intelligent, refined, handsome, fashionable, and charming. In fact, he thought of himself as the supreme gentleman. But women paid no attention to him, so Roger decided to get revenge, and he spent months planning what he called his day of retribution. Read and learn how and why this young man became a spree killer. Check out The Supreme Gentleman Killer, the true story of an incel mass murderer, by Brian Whitney. We have featured several of Brian's books in this segment over the years. This is just another great one. Go to truecrimegarage.com to find great titles like The Supreme Gentleman Killer and many more recommendations, including books, podcasts, and documentaries. Yeah, and while you're there, sign up on the mailing list because we like to send out promo codes to you, and one's coming at you pretty soon. So, Make sure you sign up on the mailing list. Until next week. Be good, be kind, and don't litter. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.